This podcast is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Now available, the Fuller Leadership Scholarship for students who begin the Certificate of Christian Studies in spring of 2019 or summer of 2019. This new scholarship will cover up to 100% of certificate's tuition cost for select students and is designated for ministry and marketplace leaders looking for new ways to impact their congregation, community, and calling. Take courses in the areas like missional churches and leadership, Christian ethics, dynamics of power and gender in Christian leadership. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash leadership scholarship. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. We hope you're beginning to look into General Assembly, June 17th to the 21st in Birmingham, Alabama. Experiencing Christ's love is only the beginning. Pursue your call to love God and love your neighbor as you join your fellowship family to worship, learn, and grow together. Through innovative training experiences, nightly worship, partner events, and a vibrant exhibit hall with live podcast interviews and entertainment, you'll meet Cooperative Baptists from around the United States and beyond. For more information, visit cbf.net backslash General Assembly. Our guest for this week's conversation is Emily McFarland Miller. She's the national reporter for Religion News Services. Emily, welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. You've, uh, You've spoken with so many other religion reporters that I admire, so it's a real honor to be here. Well, I mean, we're, we kind of were like saving the best for now. <laughs> you know, those I other ones. your vote of confidence. Yeah, those other ones, those, you know, pff, who are they? Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is the warm up. This is the opening act. Yeah. And notice I didn't name drop who I was like referencing there because, <laughs> you know, I'm like, if I ever call him back for another interview, I'm like, no, 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 I was totally right. talking about, yeah. Uh, so uh, I heard that episode. <laughs> so you're you're based out of Chicago, but you went to school at NYU. So walk us through a, a, a bit of your story. Okay, so uh, I'm originally from the Chicago area. My parents actually met working at a newsroom uh, in the suburbs. Um, so it was it was in the blood. It was destined to be. Um, my mom was a typesetter, which I know wasn't like a Gutenberg press type typesetting, but like something something that doesn't exist really in uh, in newspapers anymore and my dad was named the new editor and she misspelled his name uh bugless instead of douglas on the front page so they met when she apologized and um and and here we are now uh despite their best efforts to talk me out of journalism uh it was the only thing i ever really wanted to do um i grew up mostly downstate illinois i went to uh, New York University for my undergrad. Uh, I double majored in theater and journalism because what else are you going to do when you when you live in New York City? Um, I interned while I was there at NBC News. Uh, the most interesting parts of that are I was uh, I got to work on I think it was the like second time they had ever done to catch a predator. Like before it was its own TV show. Um, and I got to, oh, we had a goodbye party for me when I, when I left and Tom Brokaw came by and, and like the, the people that I worked with had got together a bunch of like NBC swag, like 
and were giving it to me and we're laughing and joking around and he stuck his head in the office and said it sounds like a Friday in here so those are my claims to fame uh, as an intern at NBC News uh, I briefly worked at MSNBC uh, I freelanced there during the 2006 Winter Olympics where I got very into curling which if you want to talk about I can talk about all day um, and then I uh, ended up coming back to the Chicago area. I was an education reporter for a long time at a suburban paper in the Chicago Sun-Times chain. Uh, and then I went downtown uh, to the Chicago Sun-Times and was the digital editor for social media and engagement for a bit uh, before I decided to do religion reporting full time, uh, first as a freelancer and now uh, as a national reporter for religion news service, uh, because it was the beat that I was always in journalism school, super fascinated by and just thought, man, that would be, that would be the coolest thing to cover. Mm. A couple of things I want to go back to New York for in a little while. I don't know if you read the, mm-hmm. the latest, but you know, they're going to do another season of Catch a Predator. Matt Lauer is going to be the kind of uh, primary uh, key focus to that series. Really? Is that no, too wait, soon? No, that's is that not too a soon? thing. Okay. That's not a thing. Okay, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Can you do your best, like Tom Brokaw accent? Can you? Are you gonna give it a go? Maybe. I I have no. I all all of my years of theater study are lost now at this point. <laughs> <laughs> right, so uh, what you know, going back to your theater days, like, uh, what was your favorite production you you were a part of? Uh. I didn't get cast in too many productions uh, in college. Uh, I ended up doing the major uh, that was like dramatic literature, theater studies, and the cinema. So it was sort of more of the like watching a movie and reading a book or going to a play and discussing it than the actual like being in a production. But I did work, I did um, intern in casting at the time. Um, and so I would cast, I would like cast myself and like people that I knew as like extras in, in some independent films. And, uh, I did work on the fifth season, I think of Law and Order SVU. I helped cast, uh, that season. So those were, those were the, the biggest things that I ever got to do in sort of the theater world. Well, if this was a gimmicky podcast, I would have just played that sound of the dun dun. <laughs> you can edit it back in later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, uh, you know, so you, you choose to go into this field of writing. And I mean, you're turning out a lot of words these days. Just in the last three months, you've written about uh, evangelicals being wooed by Trump's administration's relationship with Israel, the indictment of a former mm. megachurch pastor's indecency with children, Nebraska's perspectives on God and natural disasters. The United Methodist mm-hmm. decision on LGBTQ marriage and clergy, and much, much more. Mm-hmm. When, yeah. when, you, when you got into this, did you think uh-huh. you'd be writing on such topics? Um, I don't. I don't think that I did. I don't know that this is necessarily what all of those things are necessarily what I envisioned religion reporting being. Um, when I was in college and writing about religion um, for class and occasionally for like the school paper. Um, I was just, I was fascinated personally by religion and the role that it played in people's lives and what it was that people believed and how that motivated them and how that was uh, different from what I believed 
um, and sometimes different in a good way. And it challenged me and it made me think harder about what it was that I believed and oftentimes changed my mind about things or uh, how it was similar to what I believed. And isn't this so fascinating? Because here, you know, we can belong to different faiths or even the same faith and, uh, and see things so differently or see things so similar. I just thought it was such an interesting uh, window into the lives of other people. I thought, well, that would be such an interesting frame uh, to sort of be reporting from, to sort of report things from that religion angle. And so I think what I thought I would be writing was a lot more of these stories where it was like, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to take this subject and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to understand the world around me better and I'm going to help everyone else to, uh, you know, see and understand the world around them and their neighbor better. And this is going to, this is going to help us all just, you know, have a better understanding and more compassion for each other. And uh, in the last few years, uh, that's, uh, I feel like anything and everything you write, it doesn't matter how benign it is, is going to be fodder for everybody to fight on the internet. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not how you're supposed to read this. That that's not exactly what what I was uh, what I was hoping you would take from this. Um, instead of helping people see each other, um, there's 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 just so much fighting or or looking for uh, uh, things that you disagree on. Um, so it's. It's been a little different, and I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure if it's the beat or if it's, uh, you know, how how polarized um, things have become in the last few years, uh, both uh, for a number of reasons. Um, but uh, yeah, some of the stories that I get to do are very much what I sort of pictured. Like when I went uh, out to Nebraska a few a few weeks ago um, to cover the flooding out there and to get to talk to people about. Uh, well, how how do you in your faith view uh, a, a, a horrible disaster like this? Um, those sorts of things, uh, and how does you know? And and for so many people of different faiths, it it motivated them to to help their neighbors and everything. And so that sort of thing, I think, is very much what I thought I would I would be writing. Um, I don't know that I anticipated all of the. Um, I guess like the sausage making of just like how a, a denomination is run and the, the, the various like disagreements that go into that or, uh, or the, certainly the number of scandals um, and, uh, and, and things that, that we've covered and uh, that I've covered on the beat in the past few years. So I guess kind of yes and no. Are you, uh, are you surprised by anything anymore? <laughs> no <laughs> i say that all the time like no, nothing could happen that surprises me anymore i think it's just the general response of oh of course yeah <laughs> <laughs> just like sure that would happen uh-huh of course yeah so uh what, what's been the most challenging piece uh to write on this year mm, that's a good question and now i need to think back over all of the things that i wrote this year well, while you're thinking, we'll just play the law and order. <laughs> yes. It's really um, short. It's dun dun. Yeah. <laughs> Not a whole lot of time to think. Um, you know, covering covering the special session of the United Methodist Church is difficult, and the difficult part isn't necessarily following 
the the polity and and all of the legislation and stuff because I covered the uh, the general conference in Portland several years ago that led to the special session. And I was an education reporter for a long time. So I covered a lot of school board meetings. And this was actually the thing I was most thankful for when I covered that first general conference was I could follow along with what was happening because I was really familiar with Robert's rules of order from all those school board meetings. Um, that's not the hard part. But the hard, the hard part is the part that makes it difficult is, uh, you see the way um, decisions that denominations and churches make um, impact people's lives, and uh, there's a lot of emotions on all sides. Um, and um, I mean, I can say that's difficult for me to cover. That's far more difficult for the the people who are part of the denomination and who who have very strong feelings on both sides and whose um, lives are impacted by the decisions that are made. Um, but but. Those those sorts of stories are 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 quite hard. Um, a lot of the the church too and the me too stories um, are are very hard because of um, you know those are those are difficult stories to tell and um, and you want to you want to tell them well you want and you want to be respectful to to the people involved. And politics are always hard too. And the politics stories are mostly hard after you've written them, when you get the comments from, you know, everybody who, for basically everybody from all sides. Those, those are difficult. Those are difficult stories, uh, just uh, based on the vitriol of the comments afterwards. Mm. I just say, don't read the comments and give life to the trolls. <laughs> I, I don't. Um, I learned when I was a digital editor never to read the comments on stories, and I, I don't really anymore. Um, but uh, when people like tag you on Twitter, uh, it, it's it's harder to avoid the ones where people are like tagging your personal social media accounts and things. Um, and of course, like I love getting like all reporters love getting feedback. Um, in in those in those moments when we, when we might, when you think we've made a mistake or you think we've misrepresented your beliefs or something like we want to hear that. We want to, we're striving for truth and accuracy. So we want to be able to uh, correct that um, or to, to just to know better and to do better in the future. Um, uh, but um, do it kindly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, the only, uh, the only comments and feedback I really want to read is the uh, reviews of the sugar-free gummy bears that you can find on Amazon. <laughs> and if you have not done that, we might as well stop this. I'm not. Right now. Oh, just All it's right. great. Just, this, just, will, this will be my pickup after. The next time I get uh, a comment calling me irritating, I'm, I'm going to go look up the comments on gummy bears. No, I'm just saying go ahead and bookmark it on your <laughs> iPhone right now. So uh, let's it. flip the coin. Uh, what's, what's been the most energizing piece to write on this year? Hmm. Um, that's another good question. Uh, the trip to, I'll, I'll mention the trip to Nebraska again, because that was just recent, but that was really energizing. Cause like I said, that those are the sort of stories that I really set out to want to tell. Um, and while that was also sort of like emotionally difficult, I mean, you're talking to people who have experienced um, 
you know, they've lost everything um, that they owned. Uh, and that can be emotionally difficult, but also it was really uplifting to see the way um, the church groups were coming around them and that the, uh, that the Yazidi group in Lincoln, uh, you know, was collecting all these things to take to their neighbors because they said, you know, they had experienced being refugees um, and they didn't want anyone else to have to suffer. Uh, so that was actually a really, uh, a really uplifting story to cover in the end because you did see the way, uh, you know, we think of all these scandals and things recently and you think like, oh, faith motivate, can motivate you to do terrible things, but it can also motivate such amazing things and such an outpouring of like community and people coming around each other. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, Center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. I wonder uh, if you might talk a little bit about... um kind of your faith and ideology and how that's formed your writing? Yeah. So um, it's interesting when you're uh, a journalist, right? And I'm not a columnist, so I don't, I don't get to, I don't get to share my opinions in my writing. Um, I don't, I don't get paid enough to to share my opinions in writing. Um, But uh, I grew up attending uh, an evangelical Lutheran church in America, church, you know, CA church um, in downstate Illinois. And then I spent all of my like uh, grade school, middle school years attending a Missouri Synod Lutheran school. Um, So uh, if you know anything about the Lutheran church, those are sort of like your polar opposites on sort of like the progressive conservative uh, theological spectrum. And so I feel like this is, this is how you end up growing up to become a religion reporter, right? Like, uh, I always had sort of, uh, a foot in both worlds. Uh, I was really steeped in how, um, you know, both of these groups within the, within Lutheranism, uh, thought and, uh, and, and, uh, approached scripture and, um, you know, could talk to both sides and, and try to understand and then communicate, uh, what they felt. Um, so that was how I grew up. And, uh, now I'm actually, when I decided I was going to be full-time on the religion beat, um, I decided to go back to school as well. So I'm, uh, working towards my master's in intercultural studies, uh, in the North American Institute for Indigenous Theological Studies, which is um, a program uh, that is partnered with several schools in the U.S. and Canada, and it is uh, developed and designed and led and taught by uh, Indigenous scholars. 
And there are many reasons why I really wanted to study with Nate. Um, but chief among them was this idea that if I was going to um, be covering all of Protestant Christianity, which is my beat, um, that I wanted to be able to represent um, and begin to formulate questions um, uh, better and, and with more of a breadth of knowledge than, you know, uh, um, 11 years of Lutheran schooling. Uh, like I had, I had that background and that knowledge, but Christianity is a lot bigger than just that. And so I wanted uh, an introduction to be able to think beyond uh, what, what that little corner of Christianity I was raised in believed. Hmm. Maybe at the other side, how was, how was your writing helped form your faith? Mm, that's a great question. Um, because I, I, I was just talking to a, a college classroom yesterday and I was asked, you know, well, how do you, you know, how do you try to represent both sides fairly? How do you, and I shouldn't say both sides because there are many sides. Uh, how do you represent everyone fairly? How do you keep your opinion out of your writing? And what I find more often than any sort of impulse that oh, I'm going to write this because I want to, I want everybody to think this way or I'm going to change people's minds. Um, that, that's never how I approach a story. But I often find that when I'm talking to people, when I'm reporting, my mind is always, uh, my thoughts are always being like uh, challenged. Uh, my mind's always being changed. You're always being surprised by what, what you're learning and finding out um, about people. And, and that's been super exciting for me. Let's kind of turn gears to, you know, the, what you have been covering in your career. The, the American religious mm-hmm. landscape is, I mean, it's always changing. Um, mm-hmm. Take, for example, when, when you were studying to be a journalist in NYU, you probably didn't think that you'd ever be writing a story about a president signing copies of the Bible for adoring fans. <laughs> no, in, in fact... Um, you know, the day before I wrote that story, I don't know that I would have anticipated writing that story. But we've established <laughs> the, the, you can't you can't be surprised by anything. Yeah. Yeah. This is going back to maybe that was the day that taught you. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> so yeah, I, that's fair. I guess in you know you've been at the religion news service for over three years now, and um, mm-hmm. just in that time, how do you, how do you see the American religious landscape changing and have you seen it changed and maybe where do you see it going? Yeah. Um, it's changed in a lot of ways. Um, I guess what I'll, what I'll start by saying is, I mean, we've seen, we've seen Pew data suggesting uh, that the, the number of people who identify as spiritual, but not religi- religious uh, or nuns, N-O-N-E-S, uh, is increasing, um, while the number of people who might uh, identify with uh, traditional Christianity or other, other faiths is, is decreasing. And there's this idea that millennials are sort of looking for um, spiritual expression in, in ways that are outside uh, maybe institutional religion or outside of um, of a, of a place of worship. And uh, just, this, just this week, um, as we're recording this, 
I, uh, I attended a taping in Indianapolis of this podcast, not to, not to plug another podcast on your podcast, but I attended a taping of uh, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, um, which is, uh, you know, it, it's, taking, it's taking the, uh, you know, a chapter at a time, a Harry Potter book, and sort of treating it as a sacred text, as if this were, you know, a, a, a scripture study meeting. And, and breaking down the text and engaging in different spiritual practice like, uh, like Lectio Divina um, or something with the text. Um, and it's a really, really interesting topic. And I had really, I had really interesting conversations with the people who were there afterward um, and, and talking to them about how, uh, you know, so, several of them, the, the people that I spoke with, identified as atheists. But they found, uh, you know, there was a community in this in this fandom that had sort of gathered around these books and these characters, um, which is something that you sort of traditionally associate with uh, a faith community. There was, you know, there was all these themes and virtues that you could pull from the text and that, um, you know, were, were spiritually edifying in a different way uh, for them for them to in, engage the text in that way. Uh, and then I also I met uh, there was one woman who was a who was a pastor at a, a PCUSA church, a Presbyterian church, uh, USA church, and she was talking about how you know the storytelling on the podcast uh, made her a better pastor, um, like it made it, it made her sermons better um, the the way they told stories, um, and so I think I, I thought that that was just really interesting the way you know, uh, the way that you can find meaning in, in those places. And, and, and maybe, uh, maybe millennials might be looking for meaning in those other places or creating it there. I mean, full disclosure, I could not be any more of an ardent uh, enemy of Harry Potter. And I just, I can't imagine why anybody would ever listen to anything related to that, um, I, I just muted the microphone. I just want to go ahead and let you know that everybody should go and they should listen to that podcast right now. That is <laughs> phenomenal. And, uh, I should abandon all my time recording these and go listen. <laughs> full, full disclosure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely not. I am Gryffindor <laughs> through and through. Uh, full Are disclosure really? to our audience. Yeah. Uh, the first time we were going around to record this uh, conversation. <laughs> I ended up having to reschedule because I took my children for five days to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and had one of the greatest times of my life. So I am uh, wildly jealous. Someday I really want to make the pilgrimage to yeah. uh, to the Harry Potter theme park. Uh, yeah. I I am a Ravenclaw. I'm a hundred percent Ravenclaw, and it was really hilarious because one of the questions I was asking everybody as I was interviewing them was which house they they would identify with if, if you know if they were at Hogwarts and. Um, I think like the first four or five people that I talked to, every single one said Ravenclaw. And then I was like, is this like my unconscious bias where I am only approaching people that I sense to be fellow Ravenclaws because that's, you know, that's like a easier conversation to have with someone who's familiar or are Ravenclaws the type of people, because like the, this is the house that like prizes uh, like, well, like wit and learning, right? Are Ravenclaws the type of people who are, who are going to show up uh, you know, on a weeknight 
for a taping of a podcast that's breaking apart like a piece of literature as a sacred text. And I think actually it might be, I think it might be the latter. Oh, I mean, full disclosure, one of the bravest men I ever knew was, you know, a Slytherin. So, (laughs) okay, full, we just went full on dorkdom and here it back to the conversation. Does that mean we need to talk about sports now to make up for it? Yeah, (laughs) of course, we'll talk about Quidditch. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, um, you know, I wonder if as you're covering, you know, the American religious landscape, um, mm-hmm. uh, maybe, if, I don't know if you can be honest to say, what, what, what's kind of created some disillusion with you um, around hmm. where you see things going? Hmm. That's a very good question. Um, and I'm, I'll have to think if I can put put my finger on anything in particular because uh, that is an idea that I've heard expressed by veterans of the Godbeat, as we call it. Um, and I only heard this expressed recently, like perhaps it would have been beneficial to know this years ago before I got in, I decided that I wanted to pursue the religion beat. Uh, but I've heard it said that... Um, uh, losing one's faith is sort of a hazard of the job covering the religion beat. Um, and I guess that's just because, you know, we, we see all of it. You're sort of staring unblinking into, uh, uh, you know, like religion and religious institutions and everything. And, um, you see how they're made up of, uh, people who are just as uh, prone to making mistakes as you are and everything. Um, and I think that that can sort of, um, that can sort of shake you a bit. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know how, if I can put more fine a point on it. I mean. Hmm. No, I think it's, it's significant enough. I mean, you, you speak, in, I think you speak into things that um, a lot of local ministers, if they're honest and have mm-hmm. a healthy dose of cynicism, mm-hmm. um, can become disillusioned um, by. And mm-hmm. I think the struggle to, oh gosh, see the just grit and grime of humanity and our willingness mm-hmm. to do things in the name of God can lead us all to uh, question our constructs of God, but yeah, I think myself personally, as I've encountered those moments, not to say I had this glorified moment of wisdom in in those times, <laughs> but I, I think I'm reminded of just how much I see the the breadth and depth and indescribable nature of 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 the divine compassion. You know, mm-hmm. I guess for my my faith, it would be, you know, seeing, you know, I, I, I start to fully understand why Christ was willing to break bread with the tax collector, <laughs> the prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and why the self-righteous Pharisees, you know, I just, um, <laughs> so I, I get it. I, I get, I can imagine the struggle that, that you face or that writers of, of your, your skills face. Um, yeah. uh, maybe flip the script a little bit and as a person covering religion, what gives you hope? Um, yeah for now in the future yeah I mean I think I think I mentioned this a few times already but um, you know seeing how seeing how faith groups respond to disasters there's I mean there certainly have been 
um, a, a number of terrible things that have happened worldwide in the past few years I've been on the beat. And you do see people come together of different faiths to support them. Um, I mean, just recently, as we're taping this, we have the example of uh, the the fire at the um, the the church in Notre Dame and um, the the fires at the historic black churches in uh, Louisiana, and uh, you see all these fundraising efforts to um, to, to rebuild those um, and help them recover, uh, or Nebraska the recovery with um, the recovery with. Uh, um, the, the flooding there. Um, I'm trying to think where else I, I've been, I went to, uh, Liberia after the Ebola crisis with, uh, with Samaritan's Purse. And there were a number of groups that were all working together there to help the community recover after that. Um, so I think those sorts of things give me a lot of hope. And also, um, I was educated since I was an education reporter before, I was a religion reporter. Um, I am always really encouraged talking to students um, when I'm visiting like different uh, different religious uh, schools, uh, like um, which I have the occasion to do uh, every once in a while. And I find when you're actually talking to people and you're not you're not online, uh, you know with people lobbing grenades at each other. Um, when you're actually talking to people face to face, um, people are so kind and so understanding and so much more willing to uh, discuss and learn uh, from viewpoints different than their own and want to hear, um, you know, want to hear from others and want to share their viewpoints um, in, in such a way that seems uh, so humble and gracious and, and kind and, and healthy. Um, I think, yeah, getting offline and just getting to talk to other people and travel around the country and meet folks, that is also really encouraging to meet, to meet the people who um, are practicing these faiths. Maybe if not like, uh, maybe if not always, you know, the, the leaders who are mired in scandal, but just the people who every day are living their faith um, and expressing their beliefs. That's, that's also something that I find to be really encouraging. So this podcast goes up, uh, be a couple of weeks since we recorded. So uh, what, mm -hmm. what's next for you? Um, that is a good question. Um, I'm as we're recording this, I'm sort of stuck in the loop of um, all Easter all the time because we're coming up on the holiday. Uh, but there's there's more Methodist things coming up. There's the Judicial Council is going to weigh in on uh, what happened at the um, what happened at the special session. Um, Something I, a story idea that I have that is probably, a, I think it's a year out now, but I've wanted to do this for a while. Um, so I mentioned when I was in college and I was working at uh, MSNBC during the Olympics, I got really into curling. So when the Winter Olympics came up, uh, this was just last year, I did an article about um, this guy who was 
seen as he was going to become this great coach, probably going to the Olympics. And instead, he gave it up to go into the seminary and to become a Catholic priest. And so I interviewed him and did this profile of him. And it was so fun because it was like here, like my love for curling and my love for religion reporting all coming together. And he had talked about, oh, how he had curled with the um, the the men's Olympic team and they're all great guys. And then the men's Olympic team, of course, goes on to win like our first gold in the event. So I was totally geeked about that. But then I found out there is um, there's this tournament in Canada uh, every year called the Friars Briar. Um, and I desperately want to cover this next year when it comes up. And I'm giving this away as like a free idea to anybody else because I don't think anybody else is super interested in curling and religion like I am. So I think I'm safe here. Uh, but I really want to go and attend this. It's uh, the Briar is Canada's big curling tournament. And the Friars Briar is this big curling tournament. And it's all like uh, pastors and priests and people who work for churches and everything. And they all get together and have a curling tournament. And I just feel like this, this would be such a fun story to go and cover. Well, I certainly think I have a new podcast episode that I'll be covering next year as well. <laughs> I'll see you there. Yeah. I'll well, challenge you, you on the ice. <laughs> well, I will I will bring my wand. So <laughs> Oh, I don't have one. <laughs> don't worry. I might, I might have like I might have like a blue stripe tie somewhere. Well, if you want to follow Emily, pretty much uh, you can find her on any social media platform. Of course, you can find her writing on religionnews.com. Uh, Emily, thank you for challenging us to not assume we know who people are and what they stand for, but to get out and to listen to their stories. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Well, that's it. That's our episode. Be sure to check out our annual sponsors' websites, the Center for Congregational Health at healthychurch.org and Fuller Seminary at fuller.edu. For more information about the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, including stories about our church starters, field personnel, leadership development, peer learning groups, and advocacy, visit cbf.net.